Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. It reads, Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her. And the disciples came and urged him, saying, Please send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But then she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. For the word of God among us, for the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God within us. Amen. I'd heard stories about this man, and I was curious. He'd been traveling around the Sea of Galilee, and word had reached our region that he'd been healing people. And I even heard that he had fed 5,000 with only a few loaves and fishes. There were 12 baskets of crumbs left over, I heard. I wonder... What happened to those baskets? What happened to the crumbs? His presence was calming and peaceful and forgiving, I heard. So when I heard that he was headed this way to the area of Tyre and Sidon in my region, I jumped at the chance to have him heal my daughter. She was being tormented by something, and there wasn't anything that I could do alone that would help her. I needed a miracle. I really wasn't looking for much. Maybe just a bit of those crumbs from those miracle baskets. And I sure didn't know how he'd respond. He'd been spending all of his time around the Sea of Galilee with his people, the people of Israel, the Jews. And he was a Jew himself. How would he feel about me, a Gentile? What was bringing him here anyway to this land of pagans? Was he going to listen to me? Would he hear my cry? Would he even share from that basket for me and my daughter? But I had to try because my daughter was in so much pain. So I found where he was staying, and I saw these 12 other men there. That was scary for me because who am I? A Canaanite woman. A Canaanite and a woman to boot. I had to figure out how to get his attention, surrounded by all those men looking at me with this disdain in their eyes, but I mustered up the courage, and I yelled out, 
so he'd know I was there. Have mercy, Lord, son of David, help me. My daughter is tormented. And I know he heard me. I know his followers heard me because they whined and said, send me away. I was annoying. They were appalled. But they had no idea how desperate I was for this man to heal my daughter. I'm only here resting, he said. I'm not here to heal. My mission is to save the people of Israel. And you know, that didn't make sense to me. The stories I'd heard about this man and their God was a God for all people. Even if I was a Gentile, what was to keep me from being a part of that family? I knew I didn't have much time for him, so I walked up to him, thankful that those other men didn't lead me, lead me, lead me and hold me back. And I kneeled and I said, Lord, help me. And he must have seen my desperation. It wasn't for me, but for my daughter. By now, I wasn't just begging for mercy. I was begging to be a part of that family that he had been drawing in to understand the true nature of God, and I was begging for that nature to heal her. And then he gave me an opening. I heard his response. I can't take food away from the children and give it to the dogs. And I had to breathe deep. He's tired, probably. He wants me to go away. But when I breathed, I felt something nudge me to nudge him one more time. Why would he only react to the people of Israel when this child in my house was hurting? Was he really going to turn me away? So I took a breath and I thought about those crumbs in the basket, the miracle that he had. And I said to him, Lord, you may be right, but don't, don't you know I don't need the full loaf of bread? I just need the crumbs from that loaf, the crumbs that your family has already shared. That'll heal her, and I can wait for the rest. And you know what he did? He smiled. He smiled this remarkable smile like he knew he wasn't going to turn me away. He knew he was going to heal her. And he said this in front of those other followers, those 12 men. He said, what great faith. And I had this rush of gratitude. And I knew right away that my daughter had been healed. I didn't even need to go home to see it. I just knew. And I believed all that he had said until now. Did you catch that phrase? Did you hear Jesus call that woman and indirectly her daughter a dog? I wasn't very happy with that. At first, I couldn't believe it. Maybe it was the translation I was using. Maybe if I looked in every translation I had, which I did, and you know what I found? Jesus called that woman and her daughter a dog. Now, I'm going to admit that there's probably a little bit of triggering going on here. There's probably a little bit of memory that I have on this from a story of when I had a performance evaluation when I was in public accounting. And 
uh, at the end of all of these projects that we had, we would get performance evaluations. You probably have those at the end of the year. Well, you get one after every project in, when you're in public accounting, or at least then. And I remember that there was one part of this project that was so hard, so puzzling, so consuming that I just had to find the solution for that and I wasn't going to get rid of it. But eventually, I found the solution and I answered the problem. At the end of every project, the supervisor prepares an evaluation and, and um, thank goodness we have the ability to change those. Because when I hear the word dog, and when I hear uh, the context of calling this woman and her daughter a dog, what I remember is what was written about my stubbornness with this problem. What I remember is about the answer that he said was a compliment to my strength. Kathy has the tenacity of a pit bull. He wanted to write that down. Now, I'm grateful that the manager on that job didn't see that uh, and agreed with me that it, the description was maybe less than uh, complimentary because when I hear someone refer to a person as a dog, in this case a pit bull, um, I would say the first reaction is something like a growly, mangy, mean dog that um, is scary and is forceful. General dog insults don't relate necessarily to those little miniature toy dogs that come in your purse, do they? So no, I'm not real big on Jesus calling her a dog. So now that we have that out of the way, what are we to make of this interaction between Jesus and this woman? As you can imagine, there's a lot of people that weigh in on this and, and try to um, correct what we're interpreting about this. They're trying to correct and sometimes even make this story seem that Jesus isn't saying what he's really saying. They try to tamper it down. It's not really a mangy dog. It's more like a household pet. Yeah, still a dog. She doesn't really correct Jesus. He's testing her faith. He knew what he was doing all along. And this is a good one. Let's just totally discount the woman. Let's discount what she had to say and bring in the disciples, that he's testing the disciples really by using this woman. I didn't like that one either, but you might think we're trying a little too hard to clean up this story, right? A little too hard that uh, Jesus didn't really call her a dog or that he wasn't wrong in ignoring her or offering her bread or healing. I think to do that kind of sidesteps the beauty of this story. It's a story about faith. It's a story about how God and Jesus respond to that faith. But importantly, there's a question that is deeply buried in this story, and it makes a whole lot of people uncomfortable. So let me ask this. Does Jesus have to be perfect for us to follow him? What are we to learn from him in this exchange? This is a really tough question, but it's a really good one. It's the kind of question that uh, Pastor Scott might ask or answer in his Ask Me Anything, which wrapped up last week, but I'm sure there's going to be another one in the springtime. Remember this question. Seriously, what do we expect of Jesus in this story? He does eventually heal the daughter, right? All's well that ends well? That's kind of like predicting, 
pretending that Holy Week doesn't matter and only focusing on Easter, the resurrection, the good stuff. In fact, it's because of Holy Week that Easter means so much. So in this story, are we to learn more about the outcome that the daughter is healed, an outcome that, frankly, we would expect from Jesus healing the daughter? Or are we learning more from how he got there? That's what I think. I mean, the fact that Jesus is so tired and wanting people to get away, to be away from people, that's something I can understand and I can relate to. The fact that he doesn't want to deviate from his plan, he wants to keep going the way that his mission was stated, that I can understand as well. We don't want to go off track or have change. In fact, I think I can wrap my head around a Jesus who struggles with these things a little more than I can, that perfect guy, you know? But it's precisely because he struggles and still comes around to help this woman and her daughter. That's what I think he models well for us here. It's Jesus' compassion for this woman and her daughter, their suffering and torment that they're going through, that makes him turn and step outside of that plan and consider that he's not here at this time just for the people of Israel. And it's that humility in admitting that this woman is right. A change in timing is necessary right now. That when someone is suffering, our mission is to, re to relieve that suffering. There's not a specific time and place to do what's right. He answered a similar question for the Pharisees. Do you remember? When someone's ill, does it really matter what day of the week that person is healed? Of course not. Jesus knows that and responds to the Canaanite woman in a way that we expect with compassion and love in healing her daughter. But there's another lesson here, and you might miss it, if you just stay focused on this one passage, the dog and, and, and other things. It's a lesson about how this woman came to influence Jesus' response, not just to her daughter, but to the greater community. See, we can learn so much more when we, when we kind of stand back from the passage that we're reading, and we, we read the bookends. We read uh, what happened before, and we understand what's happening after. That's why it was important to bring out the feeding of the 5,000 earlier. Jesus had performed this miracle only for the Israelites around the Sea of Galilee, by feeding the hungry people who were following. That's what he'd been doing, feeding and healing all along the way. But look what happens after his encounter with this Canaanite woman. He and his disciples take this lesson with him, with them. This is an all-means-all lesson. And Jesus shows the same compassion to the, to the Gentile area, to the people of the Gentiles. And remember, this is not Jesus' base. So verses 29 through 31, Jesus heals the lame, the maimed, the maimed, the blind, the mute, many others. And the people were amazed and they praised this God of Israel. That phrase, the God of Israel, that tells us that, that they weren't used to it. They're hearing these stories for the first time and there's reason to be amazed. This is a God to follow that cares that heals our suffering, that is with us in our suffering. And then next, as if we need this reminder that all means all, Jesus duplicates 
the story of the feeding of the masses. This time, 4,000. 4,000 men plus women and children, seven loaves, a few fish. And it occurs in an area where the Gentiles are more populated than the last story. All have been fed. Jesus hasn't just healed one woman's daughter. He's expanded his entire mission based on this one encounter with this Canaanite woman. More people are healed and more people are fed because of her persistence. In economics, there's a factor known as the multiplier factor. Yes, it's true you came to worship today to hear a lesson on economics. Stick with me, though. The multiplier effect says that there's an increase in spending when we spend, when the government spends, when companies spend, that, that an increase in spending results in a corresponding increase in national income and consumption that's greater by a magnitude of X than that original spending. Easier to understand with an example, right? So go with me on this. A company builds a building. They need a building. They need a new manufacturing building. And that building is going to cost them $100 to build. But when that building is completed, life happens in that building. Life happens in the way of employment, and people are paid. And those people go out and buy other products. Life happened, and works, work happens in that building when people build the product that the company sells. There's lots of things that happen, and the items are sold and used by people who build that product. So the initial $100 ends up expanding by a multiplier effect of that 100. Maybe it's two times, maybe it's three times, maybe it's a hundred times, but that's what we're talking about when we say the multiplier effect. And after reading again about the Canaanite woman, I'm ready to say that she is a multiplier. Her persistence was that initial energy, that initial spending, that energy of love, love for her daughter that got the ball rolling. Her faith was in Jesus to do the right thing. This persistence, courage, faith, all wrapped up in this one woman's good trouble to find this man and get healing for her daughter. There it is. You knew I'd come to it eventually, right? That good trouble. This one woman's unexpected, uninvited, and in lots of ways unwelcomed voice and courage and persistence. That voice that had an impact that led to new life for many others. She wasn't even approaching Jesus on her own behalf, but for that of her daughter. The encounter was never about her. It was always about her daughter. And when Jesus didn't respond, she asked again. And when he gave her excuse about why he wasn't responding, she asked it in a different way. The Canaanite woman persists not to be right, but to convince Jesus to do right. And she had faith in that compassion and grace that she had heard about Jesus. She had faith that with the right amount of persistence, Jesus would do the right thing by her daughter. Persistence for her wasn't, wasn't this needling and nagging and pointing and accusing. Instead, it was to honor what she knew Jesus was to his people, a compassionate, loving, and humble man 
who was confirming that we can expect the same of a loving God. She had faith that the crumbs were enough to feed her. She had faith that the crumbs were enough to heal her daughter. And she didn't need to take anything away from anyone else to get Jesus to act. Because of her persistent voice and unyielding faith, that he was who she believed him to be, her daughter was healed, but so were the blind and the lame and the deaf, and people were fed. This remarkable woman, this woman who followed the literal breadcrumbs to lead Jesus to an answer he already wanted to give her. She helped Jesus reveal himself to a whole host of other people just by having faith in who he already is. She revealed to Jesus what he had not been doing. She encouraged him to move forward. And with all humility, he agreed with her. After not agreeing with her, he agreed with her. And he expanded his mission to include a new group of people. It's amazing what one voice can do. I want you to think of two things as I leave you today. First, I'd like, I'd like you to ask yourself, where does God need my persistent faith? What's going on in the world that I'm willing to grab hold and not let go to help right the wrong? What's going on not with the tenacity of a pit bull, not in an aggressive way, but in a continuous and loving way, prodding and persistent way that convinces other people to act lovingly. Maybe your persistence is needed to help alleviate poverty in Richardson and in our surrounding areas. Maybe that's communicating with council members and, and government officials. Maybe it's volunteering at Network of Community Ministries. Maybe your persistence can help create change to bring more affordable housing to North Texas. Maybe it's just that first community that sets aside a few units to serve the low income. That'll get the ball rolling, but it takes persistent action to get that first one. Maybe there's something out there that hasn't been revealed to us yet. I know there is, but you know that with persistent prayer, God will reveal it to us. And this isn't anything that we haven't already encountered, Arapahoe. Time and again, a need has been revealed in this community, and we've kept a persistent faith that helped us answer it and find solutions. Justice for our neighbors, building expansions, refugee ministries, Pumpkin Patch 2020. And as we close out our sermon series on good trouble, I want to remind you what John Lewis said. Don't be afraid to make some noise, to get in good trouble, to get in necessary trouble. Sometimes we don't even know we're getting into trouble, right? But if we take a cue from the Canaanite woman's persistence encounter with Jesus, we'll see that good trouble, persistence, love, and faith, faith in God's promise that will not benefit just ourselves, but will act like a multiplier for everyone around us. More love, more healing, more peace to the whole community. That persistence goes above and beyond. It multiplies. 
So I encourage you, be persistent, my friends. Go above and beyond. Be a multiplier. May it ever be so. Amen.